it is lovely to be here. Um, thank you so much to Edinburgh North for all your support of Cornhill uh, over the years. Cornhill exists because two truths are demonstrably true in Scotland today. Number one, there is a famine of God's word. There are millions of people waking up in Scotland this morning who will give infinitely more attention to the words of Gary Lineker than the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a famine of God's word. Even if you did wake up this morning and think, I'd like to go to church, the chances of hearing some life-changing news about the Lord Jesus are very, very slim. The second truth is that the most precious resource in Scotland today are people that can open the Bible and teach the Lord Jesus from the Scriptures. So that's what Cornhill does. It seeks to enable people to hear the Scriptures clearly and then to communicate them compellingly to others. And we're greatly encouraged the Lord is trusting us to train people. We could always do with training more. But even now, um, we've got people ready for next year, so that is encouraging and also provides job security for some of us. So that is exciting. If you've got a Bible, um, please turn with me to Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and Luke writes this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he took out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, See to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this together. Father God, please, by your Spirit, make this living word live in each of us. And we pray this for the glory of your Son, our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. I wonder, are you a suspicious person? 
Are you a suspicious person when your children or your grandchildren say, I just need to go into my room and do some colouring, but I need the door closed. Are you suspicious about that? Or when you turn on your email on Monday morning and there's an email from somebody you've never heard of who claims that you've won an enormous prize in the lottery and you just need to send him a certain amount of money to unlock it, are you suspicious? Or are you one of those people whom it's impossible to throw a surprise party for? That you're onto it early and you walk into your room and before people can jump out, you shout surprise because you're surprising them that you knew there was a party all along. My goal this morning is to make you more suspicious, to turn your suspicion level up to 11 so you will go from here on into the week very suspicious about all that Jesus might be up to in your life, through your life for his glory. That you would leave here with antennas twitching, thinking that Jesus is king, his mission is unstoppable, and I get to be a co-worker in this work. This work of his word, forgiving sinners by his grace, and through faith, granting them eternal citizenship in his forever kingdom. In this way, I think we're right on point with um, why Luke writes Luke-Acts. This massive double volume that he writes to his friend Theophilus. And he writes it to Theophilus so that Theophilus might have certainty about the things that he's been taught about Jesus Christ. And certainty is vitally important, isn't it? The more certain we are about something the more confidence we have in it, the more courage we'll have when we're speaking about it. And that's what Luke Acts is, something to give us certainty, to build confidence, to steal our courage, that we might be on board with all that Jesus is doing in the world. Which is exactly where Acts 18 finds itself. Acts 18 is a real moment in the grand narrative of Luke-Acts to give us enormous confidence about what King Jesus is doing in the world. We've landed in Corinth, but we're in Paul's second missionary journey. A missionary journey that starts after the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. There's been a change in personnel because Paul has had a Barney with Barney about John Mark and they've decided to go their separate ways. And to the team, Paul has recruited Silas. And having gone together, they first land at Lystra and they get a new recruiter, ministry apprentice called Timothy, who undergoes the most painful induction service that's ever happened. And they try and they press loads of doors. Where is King Jesus going to send us to be on board with his mission in the world? And they push here and the door is closed and they push here and the door is closed. And eventually in Troas, they get the vision of the man from Macedonia who says, come over and share the gospel with us. Come over and help us. And the gospel crosses continents. And it lands in Europe, and it lands in Philippi, which is the hardest ground you could possibly imagine. A Roman colony more Roman than Rome itself, in the same way Gibraltar is more British than Britain. These kind of outcrops 
of real Roman imperialism. And yet the gospel takes root and bears fruit and a real church is left when Paul and Silas and Timothy move on. And they move on to Thessalonica. And again, the gospel takes root and bears fruit and King Jesus has people that belong to his name in that city. But then the Jews are jealous and they rouse a mob and they kick them out of town with pitchforks and torches. And from Thessalonica, they go to Berea. And in Berea, they meet noble Jews who love doing Bible study. And everything that Paul says, they check whether this King Jesus is really the king that the Old Testament had been talking about all the way along. And they go, it is. But unfortunately, then Rentamob comes down from Thessalonica. And Paul has to leave because they want to kill him. And so Paul, all alone now, goes to Athens, the Oxford of the ancient world. A city drowning in idols. Whom Paul says, no, real hope, real rescue, real salvation is found in Jesus exclusively. And going anywhere else. Trusting anything else is a complete waste of time. That will only end in judgment. He then leaves Athens, the Oxford of the ancient world, and goes 60 miles west to Corinth. And if Athens was the Oxford of the ancient world, Corinth was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Licentious, pluralistic, a place where anything goes and everything goes. The Roman historian Strabo said that the city of Corinth was served by 5,000 temple prostitutes who served the shrines during the day and served the merchants during the night. That's how loose living Corinth is. There's the adjective to be Corinthian means that you have loose morals. And here comes Paul all alone as a tiny little voice in the city of Corinth, which is such a cacophony of noise, to call people to repent and believe and respond in holy living as they obey his words. You've got to think, how would Paul feel undertaking this mission? The good thing is we know exactly how he feels because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he writes this. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And at that point, I think, Paul, you're my guy because that's how I feel on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and even on Sunday. As someone called to say something about your name and your glory and your gospel in the world, I feel weak and fearful and I have much trembling. So I hope that what... Luke writes for us about Paul's mission in Corinth will be a massive encouragement to us, encouraging us to be on board with the mission of King Jesus in the world which is absolutely unstoppable. So look with me first at verses 1 to 5 and see how King Jesus plans ahead. Paul is going to Corinth. He's alone. He's never been there before. He wonders what's going to await him there. Will he be able to stay? Will he be kicked out immediately? Will this be the place that he dies for the name of the Lord Jesus, as Ananias had so clearly told him at his commissioning? And yet he finds the dynamic duo of the New Testament, Aquila and Priscilla. And it's fascinating 
He goes for one coffee at Cafe Nero, or I guess this is before the rebrand, it was Cafe Claudius in these days. He has one coffee with Aquila, and he finds that he has a place to live, a job, and a small group. Which isn't bad, is it? That's not bad at all. That's a pretty good coffee that all of us might attend, and we might even pay for the macchiatos. But see what Luke is doing... Luke is going to give us the backstory of Aquila and Priscilla, not because he had a space on his scroll that needed filling. He gives us the backstory of Priscilla and Aquila to make an important theological point about the work that has already gone into Jesus' mission in Corinth. Look with me. Aquila is a native of Pontus. That's on the North Sea coast of the Black Sea in Turkey. And then at some point in his life, he'd gone to Rome. And in Rome, they obviously set up their tent-making business. It was probably going quite well. The Romans love a good tent. But then Claudius turns very anti-Semitic and kicks all the Jews out of Rome. And they decide, let's go to Corinth. And isn't it interesting that Luke wants us to see that they recently arrived from Italy. They recently arrived. And what's the point? That King Jesus has planned ahead. That he's moved his chess pieces around the world so that Aquila and Priscilla are right there in Corinth to be the mission HQ of Paul when he arrives. That's super encouraging, isn't it? That King Jesus is sovereign over his unstoppable mission. King Jesus is sovereign over all of it. And he's not just sovereign over Aquila and Priscilla. He's sovereign over your life as well. You are not doing what you're doing because of chance or happenstance or coincidence. You are where you are because King Jesus has you where you are to make much of him in your life, through your life, for his glory. You are the most important person that all of your friends know because you might be the only one who will ever tell them life-changing news about Jesus Christ. And there's real confidence here because you're not doing it alone. And though you might be fearful and very much afraid and trembling, to know that you are there as a co-worker with King Jesus whose mission is unstoppable, that might steal us to say something to the glory of his name. And not only does he plan ahead, but he's all over all of the details. Because verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia. And what we know from 2 Corinthians is they come bringing a contribution, an offering to the work of mission from the Macedonian churches. And this means that Paul can go full time in the work. He doesn't need to wear his apron fixing tents during the day and then in the evenings testify to the glory of the Lord Jesus. That now God's work supported by God himself through this offering Paul is able to go full-time in the work, testifying to the Jews in the synagogue that this Jesus is the king that they've been waiting for. He is the king in whom all of their hope and all of their joy and all of their life and all of their future is found. He is the king they've been waiting for. He is the king that they need. Jesus plans ahead. But see, secondly, Jesus works next door. King Jesus works next door. The Puritans had this great phrase, the sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. 
And in the synagogue, as Paul preaches, some people's hearts are melted and they believe. But some of the Jews hear the message of the Lord Jesus and their hearts become incalcitrant and impenetrable to the gospel. And so unable to contest with Paul's logic, they start to revile him. They start to talk trash about him. And so what does he do in the style of Ezekiel? He shakes out of his garment. He says, I've been the faithful messenger. I've told you what you need to know, but the response is on you. Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This creates a massive problem, though. The synagogue has been the center of gospel operations in Corinth. And now they've been kicked out. Where on earth is Corinth Evangelical Church going to meet? Well, it just so happens that the Lord Jesus has been working next door. Literally next door. That next door to the synagogue is the house of Titius Justus, a Roman by birth. He's got a pretty nice villa, perhaps an atrium with a cool water feature. And they think, well, we can put a few chairs around and this would be an excellent place for Corinth Evangelical Church to meet. And not only that, we don't even need to hire a van because it is just next door and we can get the PA system and all of the chairs in there easily. And Paul will later go on to write in Romans, won't he, that one of the reasons that God opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles is to make the Jews jealous. Well, how jealous are you going to be as a Jew going to the synagogue and hearing shine Jesus, shine blood out of the windows? of Titius Justice's house. How jealous are you going to be when after church, instead of just filtering off home, burdened by the the legal demands that you failed to live up again? You see, Corinth Evangelical Church gathered in the street, relating to each other as family, bearing each other's burdens and having real joy because of the salvation they have in serving King Jesus. King Jesus works next door. But he also works next door. Look with me at verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. There's one Sunday the Corinth Evangelical Church is meeting and suddenly everyone sits up straight in their chairs and they're terrified. Because at the back of church, Crispus, the grand fromage from the synagogue, has darkened the door and everyone's terrified. What's happened? Why is he here? Did we put the wrong recycling bin out? Has somebody double parked? Have we turned Shine Jesus Shine up too loudly? But no. Christmas comes and he sits in the front row because then as now, the only place you can ever sit if you come late to church is in the front row. (laughs) And he sits down. Christmas, Mrs. Christmas, all the little crispies. And they listen intently to the preached word and are converted to faith and citizenship in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just the first fruits of all that King Jesus wanted to do. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. I like to think after Christmas was baptized, he changed his name to Sogius because he is now wet from head to toe. Although in Presbyterian situations, that doesn't quite work quite as well. Isn't it amazing? 
King Jesus works next door. He's always working next door. He doesn't just work in the home team dressing room, he works in the away team dressing room as well. Who knows the hearts that he's working in that are in your sphere of influence as you go about your life in 21st century Edinburgh? Who knows the people in the quiet before they fall asleep who were worried about eternity and worried if God is really real? And what a joy it is to be a co-worker with the Lord Jesus, to have the privilege of sowing the good seed of the gospel into hearts that have already been ploughed ready for reception and bearing fruit to Jesus' glory alone. King Jesus plans ahead. King Jesus works next door and see this. King Jesus stands beside. Things have gone remarkably well in Corinth. Jesus has been very faithful in every endeavor. And yet if you're the Apostle Paul, this is a source of great anxiety because he's been here before. Things have gone well and then the riot has broken out. Or then the stoning happened or then it was imprisonment with flogging. So the fact that it goes well is very unsettling and in fact nothing new. But isn't King Jesus so gracious to his anxious missionary? Verse 9, one night in a vision, King Jesus says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Four things that the Lord Jesus promises Paul. Firstly, go on speaking. Persevere in speaking the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. Persevere. Secondly, Jesus promises him his presence. I am with you. You're not doing this alone. But anybody plus Jesus is a majority, so crack on says Jesus. Thirdly, protection. No one will attack you to harm you. That's been exactly the problem all the way through. But this time, King Jesus sovereignly says, you'll be safe as you go about my work in this place with me. And then what a great promise, for I have many in this city who are my people. God's word will prosper in the city. Many, many people through Paul's ministry will be called to belong to Jesus Christ. Let's be those that are keep hoping that that's true of Edinburgh as well, that the space for grace hasn't completely disappeared and there's time for new life amongst many, that there'll be many that Jesus calls to belong to himself. You can just imagine how weird Corinth Evangelical Church is. I mean, how utterly weird, how it's the weirdest thing going on Corinth every week. And let's be clear, there's a lot of weird things going in Corinth. The preacher's a former terrorist. The guy whose house they're meeting in is a former pagan worshipper. The guy who uh, is probably doing some administration in the background, Crispus, used to be the head guy in the rival religion next door. What a weird church. And as more and more people come, they go, this is so weird and I love being part of it. There's nothing like this happening in Corinth. And nothing in Corinth that's going to last forever like this is going to last forever. Finally, see in verses 12 to 17, 
that King Jesus sits above. I think this is a great encouragement for Christians living in 21st century Scotland. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Gallio. He's an incredibly important person. He's related by marriage to Emperor Claudius himself. He's the governor of an enormous district. And when he comes into office, the Jews decide this will be a great opportunity to close down Corinth Evangelical Church forever. So they get a date. They form a tribunal. And it's the day when Paul is going to stand trial. And so they come, verse 13, with that accusation. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And Paul is ready, champing at the bit to give his defense. And Gallio instead puts his hands behind his head, his feet up on the desk, and says, I cannot be bothered to listen to your squabblings. And let's be clear, that's not because Gallio has any kind of affection for um, the gospel or any kind of knowledge or faith in the Lord Jesus. It just so happens that sitting above Gallio, who seems to be the alpha predator on the food chain, is King Jesus. And he can move the heart of rulers as simply as you can move a stream of water from the tap that falls on your hand. When you're washing your hand later, just see how easy it is to divert the course of water as it trickles onto your hand. That's what it's like for King Jesus with the hearts of rulers. He can just flex his pinky and suddenly, instead of ardent animosity, there's complete apathy. And so if Gallio says it's all right, it's all right. This is like an imperial sanction to the uh, Corinth Evangelical Church. If Gallio says it's all right, it's all right. And so having seen that, how much more steeled and fervent will they be? How much more on the front foot, knowing that the Jews are not going to be able to hinder the unstoppable mission of King Jesus? It's a weird ending though, isn't it? The Jews have roused a mob. And this mob have been turned up into a frenzy and now they know they're not going to be able to give Paul a good doing. They want to give somebody a good doing. And so they turned on Sosthenes. You've got to feel sorry for Sosthenes. The only reason he's in charge is because Crispus was a defector. And they beat down on him. Gallio is just as apathetic about the beating of Sosthenes as he was about the accusation from the Jews. And so as we leave Corinth, the camera zooms out. Corinth Evangelical Church can continue. The mob has to disperse. And poor old Sosthenes is on the steps of the tribunal, bleeding and wounded. And you've got to ask, what on earth happened to Sosthenes? And the amazing news is we know what happened to Sosthenes. About seven years later, Paul will write a letter to this church in Corinth. And this is how he starts. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother... Sosthenes. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? I like to think it happened like this. That there's Sosthenes, injured, pained, unable to get himself home because he's in so much pain. And one of the Christian brothers or sisters, member of 
Corinth Evangelical Church reaches down to him and says, come on, I'll take you home. I can have some chicken soup. And I think I've got a first aid kit that might be useful. And over time, Sosthenes comes to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus. So I wonder on the back of Acts 18 and Paul's missionary endeavours, co-working with King Jesus and his unstoppable mission, I wonder as you go into this week, will you be more suspicious? Will you be more suspicious knowing that Jesus has planned ahead? He's sovereign over his entire mission. He works next door. Who knows the hearts that he's preparing to respond in faith to the gospel? Know that you don't do it alone. He stands beside. No one will harm you except according to his sovereign will. So have courage and confidence. Know that he will build his church and nothing can stand against that. Do you know that King Jesus sits above? And despite all the blustering and talk at Holyrood, there is one who sits above Scotland who governs perfectly and can be trusted forever. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you that by your grace we have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is king over everything and we pray that he might be king, an absolute king over each of our lives. And Father, help us trust him alone as we go into this week and help, him, help us to serve him faithfully and speak of him often. And we pray this would happen all by his grace empowered by his spirit for his glory alone. Amen.